Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast Thursday edition, continuing our series titled The Kingdom of Heaven today, as we take a look at different aspects that Jesus highlighted about the Kingdom of Heaven, as he shared short stories that had an intent to them. They had a teaching purpose. Uh, We call them parables. And so we are looking at a few of them, just trying to decipher what exactly Jesus was trying to share with his audience and then with us today about the Kingdom of Heaven. And I'm joined this week again by my wife, uh, Sarah Eichard. And Sarah, what's up? How are you doing? You've had some days off here. It's been really nice to spend more time with you. It's yeah. Been great. Um, well, I'm glad that you're enjoying me being home. Um, it, I mean, I think I was made for part-time work. Just like give me three days of professionalism um, and then let me be at home. So I am loving life right now. Yeah, I think a lot of people could uh, resonate with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, Awesome. Well, uh, we are jumping into a new parable today, but I want to recap our parable from last week. We did a parable called the parable of the talents. It's in Matthew chapter 25. I highly encourage you to go back and check that one out. Uh, But if you want, if you're, if you're listening to this one first, uh, the big idea is that what Jesus highlights about the kingdom of heaven is that it, he is the this master in this story, and he is going to return. And he's given you something. He's given you uh, talents. He's given you a message. He's given you good news to share. And what are you going to do with it? Uh, are you going to invest it? Are you going to uh, share it with other people? Are you going to grow the investment that's been made in you? Or are you going to try to hide it away? Uh, And a lot of that has to do with how you feel about who the master is. What do you see God as? What do you see Jesus as? And uh, do you see that as something worth sharing? Do you see that as something worth investing uh, your time and resources and energy into and growing in this world? Or do you see it as something that uh, you don't want people to know about you or you don't want to share with others? And so uh, we saw in that parable that that really uh, dictates maybe how you might go about using what you've been given and so the challenge is that Jesus is returning and he's going to ask what we've done with what we've been given so there's a decision that we have to make about what we've been given but today we're going to be talking about uh, this new parable it's in Matthew chapter 13 it's uh, in some translations it's referred to as the wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the tares and I'm excited to jump into it there's a lot of things that I've uh, really learned as I've studied this and uh, things that I didn't necessarily see in my first read through of it. And so I'm excited to jump into it. But Sarah, I'm going to have you read the story and then we'll kind of start to talk about maybe some of the different aspects of it or details that we can point out. Okay, let's do it. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, 
lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Yeah, thank you for doing that. And then we also, this is kind of an interesting one, uh, because it's one of a few parables that we actually see uh, Jesus explain later on. The disciples are going to ask him, what was that all about? And he's going to give an explanation of it in that same chapter. So I'll read Jesus' explanation of the parable here, starting in verse 36. He says, it says this, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the, their father. Who He who has ears, let him hear. So, right off the bat, there's uh, a little bit of maybe some... Um, when you read this, there's a little bit maybe of a sense of, oh man, this is heaven, hell, fire and brimstone. It's getting serious. Yeah, initially it it, it produces a spirit of fear in me. Ah, if okay. I'm If I'm explaining honestly how how I interpret some feelings after reading it. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Well, I think part of it is I, I have grown up with, um, not a lot of understanding of the spiritual realm and the spiritual world. And as I learn more about it, I mean, it's scary to, to consider demons and fiery brimstone. And like, there's a part of me that goes, Oh my gosh, like what if, what if I'm part of the weed or part of the weeds? Mm. Yeah. I think that's a, probably a shared concern mm-hmm. um, from a lot of people when they first read this. And I'll put this, way, I don't think that's what Jesus is intending. Mm. Um, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, that's not his character from what I've read. Um, that's definitely my own human brokenness coming to, the passage yeah no i'm glad that you said it that way though because like you say human brokenness i i think it's also shaped by our background shaped by history shaped by how you know we talked about in the last uh in the last podcast about how these passages have been preached to us kind of shape sometimes how we view them or how we might uh, interpret them ourselves and you know right or wrong that can have an impact on us and so uh, if you've heard this passage preached in a way that was like so hey you know this is what happens at the end of the day uh, you better be a wheat and not a weed like mm. you know that can create some anxiety in you that can create some of that fear to like hey I, I better be a wheat and not a weed um, I think that's probably initially why uh, there's a handful of Christians that have turned away from the church because they did grow up with messages like that Um I've got a question for you, like, because your your background is Illinois farm boy. Um, is this really what would happen? Like, in in growing wheat, would they wait to de-weed the the wheat until harvest? No, no. no okay, that's... so so farmers would have been hearing this, going, "Wait, what? Why? Why are we waiting? This doesn't make sense." 
Yes and no. So you're right in that sense. My experience and what we experience here in the States is a little bit different. I mean, uh, from an agricultural standpoint, uh, you would typically have some kind of herbicide that you would spray on your field or that you would put into the field to like keep weeds from popping up um, to try to, you know, encourage because it, and this is going to open up a number of doors that I want to walk through at some point through this conversation. But uh, first of all, weeds suck nutrients away from your crop. So you don't like you wouldn't want weeds growing up next to the crop that you're trying to like that would be bad because they're going to take away water, food, nutrients away from the good crop that you're trying to grow Two, um, the other big difference here is and this is one of the key points of interpreting this passage, I think that the word that Jesus uses here for weeds, uh, it's, it's highly, it's, you know, through a lot of, uh, experts and scholars, they believe that he's trying to intentionally use this word that is a, it's, it's a well-known weed that specifically looks identical to wheat. So part of his whole like story here is not just there's some dandelions with the wheat, <laughs> you know. Um, part of the message is literally the weeds and the wheat look so similar to each other that for you as workers to try to dis- determine which is which, you're running a huge risk of pulling up wheat with those weeds because it's so difficult to determine which is which. Okay, so you're running a, a risk in pulling up one or the other. But you also said that weeds traditionally suck the nutrients from the plant. Right. So isn't that risky as well? Well, apparently Jesus doesn't see that risk as being greater than the risk of uprooting the ripe, the crop, as opposed to the weed. Mm. But I do think you make a good point there. There's a risk in both. And maybe that's a, you know, a subtle nuanced side point to the kingdom of heaven is that there's a risk that God has taken in some ways, a calculated one, I'm sure, but there's a risk in allowing good and evil to coexist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It it makes me think of like, I don't know if you've had conversations about, well, once you become a believer, why doesn't God just take you right then? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or like, why does God allow, suffering at all or um why did god even put a tree in the garden that allowed adam and eve to sin age old question yeah it's like like, (laughs) there's there's a risk involved in all of this uh again i think it's a calculated one i don't think that god is just flippant or doing things intentionally to create uh, conflict or anything like that but there certainly is like a tension there Mm -hmm. of I'm allowing evil or I'm allowing weeds to grow up next to wheat or good. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that the servants go to the master and they're like, they're confused. They're almost assuming like, wait, did you do this? Like, yeah, did you plant these? Yes, I found that fascinating as well. Like, didn't you plant good seed? There's they're they're questioning the master. Which is really mm-hmm. like when when you see when you read Jesus' interpretation of it as a, being the Son of Man, like it's he's 
calling himself the that person it's like wow that's uh yeah that's pretty harsh like to question the seed that that Jesus has planted well I think it could be harsh but I also think depending on the tone in which you're reading it like the servants could be saying did you not sow good seed in your field or they could be saying like wait didn't you sow good seed like depending on their inflection Mm. depending on their mood that you're bringing to the text yeah they they might be confused right like wait we expected you to plant good seed because of what we know about you ah yeah, no, that's a great point. That's something I hadn't thought of. That's actually really, uh, yeah, that's really smart. Yeah, well, uh, shout out to Aaron Moon, okay. <laughs> who uh, <laughs> taught me that you can interpret scripture in in the ways of the tone that you're bringing to the text. Sure. Yeah. What else jumps out to you? Well, so it's interesting to me that um, it happens when the men are sleeping. Like, I'm curious about what the context for that is. Um is it just when we're not on guard? Is it, um, is it a detail that's not important? I do think it's, it's somewhat insignificant. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously there's a reason why they're away or distracted or not available to defend the field in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's also interesting who are the servants because Jesus, that's actually one of the roles that Jesus doesn't give, uh, like a, it's not like an allegorical. He doesn't give them a, a, a human or a worldly tie, right? Because he says the reapers are angels. So maybe you could say that the servants are as well. Um, but the reapers clearly in the in the story are separate from the servants who are initially asking him. He says when the harvest comes, I'll tell the reapers. They seem to be a different person. Um, the wheat is the children of God. The weeds are the children of the enemy. So there's not really like a personification given to the servants, which I find to be really interesting uh, because I feel like that would be helpful um, and uh, understanding this passage more fully and who is questioning him, who is um, asking, you know, about the seed or what tone that they might have. Um, so I kind of lost track of what your original question was there, but the, the just the sleeping yeah so his men were asleep why are they asleep yeah like so is it representative of like thinking about the the and this could be a way big stretch um but thinking about the garden and um adam and eve like their minds kind of fell asleep when the the enemy came and they weren't on guard in that conversation that they Mm. were having with the serpent and so like that could be a form of sleeping but again yeah could be a stretch yeah, maybe just like a, a being unaware or letting your guard down in a sense is kind of what, mm-hmm. what you're saying. Um, yeah. yeah, possibly. Well, so I also wonder um, in reading this text, are there Pharisees present? Are there like Pharisees, people who are among the wheat going, oh, wait, like I, I think that by, might be me. Or are those people even do they even have the ability to reflect? Like, are they just so blind to their righteousness that they have? Like, were people listening to this going, Oh wait, like, I think he's talking about me. 
or was this just to the disciples? Who's Jesus telling this story to? Good question. Uh, that we will definitely dive into. I want to break down this parable kind of in the process that we introduced last week with the four questions that we mentioned. Uh, so we'll definitely get into this more in just a little bit. But to answer your question, I think it's a wide variety of people. Um, Jesus is teaching this from a boat. Uh, he's sitting in a boat with a large, uh, what we can imagine, a large crowd on the shore listening to him speak. And so I would imagine there's kind of a variety of backgrounds and different things from the people that are listening to him. And I think that it's possible that you have some that are going, yeah, yeah, tell them, you know, or if they understood, if they had ears to hear, um, they may take this as, yeah, there are children of the enemy out there. And this is one of the interesting things about what Jesus meant to his audience. Why was he telling them to wait? Why was he saying mm-hmm. that there's going to be a delay? Because as you mentioned earlier, in agriculture, in farming, it's weird to allow weeds to grow up with the wheat. Well, and like along with that, the master plants the seeds, but he doesn't have a, a hand in reaping. Yeah, he also doesn't have a hand in sowing the weeds, which we oftentimes blame God for. Wait, yeah, let's hang on. Yeah. I want to give a pause to that. Okay. Like it took me a second to process what you said and mm-hmm. what that means in in today's world. Um, can you say it one more time? Yeah, so we so Jesus says as the master in this story, he plants good seed. The enemy is the one who comes and plants the weeds. So the master does not plant the wheat, the weeds, the weeds. Correct. <laughs> the master does not plant the weeds. So in today's world, like what lie does that combat? I think the lie that God is the author of evil in some way. Now, does, can you go down the road of like, well, God created everything. So, you know, he must have some hand in it or God, you know, allows bad things to happen. Why is that? Whatever. Um, but I think this, the story is intentionally and to some degree pointing out that there are people or there are creations in the world that are creating evil, creating disruption, creating uh, pain and suffering for others. And it's not because of God's intent of what they're we're here for. Like, Like Jesus is saying as the master, he's planted good seed. And so his people, his followers, his kingdom are to create pockets of good and create uh, positive um, experiences for people and to uh, share love and grace and mercy. And where you don't experience those things, where you experience uh, weed-like behavior, where you experience the sucking of life away from others, uh, that is a a planting of that's, that's something that's been done by an enemy, not by uh, the son of man, not by Jesus, not by God. Um, so that's, that's kind of the point that I was trying to make or the interesting uh, aspect of this story. While you were talking and this might be something that completely needs to be taken out of <laughs> the podcast and through editing, but then does this passage point to um predetermination what's the word i'm looking for oh, predestination predestination like, like we were already chosen before i think that it's possible that you could take it that way 
Um, if you line up in that camp, this certainly could be a story that you might use to defend that position. Uh, I don't personally line up in that camp. I think that, well, the way that you could look at this, if you were, if you did believe that would be obviously like, yeah, see God sows good enemy sows evil determined from before the plant even rises up. Uh, I look at it as, um, the difference is what the plant produces. So when I say that it looks so identical to, um, uh, to the wheat, the weeds do the difference. The only difference is that there's a different like amount that is produced in the wheat. And you don't know that until it's fully grown and the stock turns into, you know, the, the, the wheat or the, the fruit, if you will, at the head of the grain when it's fully finished growing. And so that's why he says to let it grow because as stock without any uh, fruit produced, they look identical. You don't know until they've finished maturing and the fruit comes out of it. And so I think um, the to me, instead of saying, you're predestined to be a weed or to be a wheat. It's what kind of fruit are you producing and what kind of plant does that indicate that you are like if you, to be a wheat, it would mean that you produce good fruit, which is in line with the rest of Jesus's teaching. Um, to be a, a weed means that you do not produce good fruit. You suck the life from the other plants. And so, um, in my interpretation, at least that's what I see it as. And I don't think that Jesus is trying to, Again, we'll, maybe we should just jump into our four questions here, but um, I don't think that Jesus' point is to determine who is a wheat and who is a weed or to make a, make a statement about being predestined for one or the other. I think that's mis a misunderstanding of what Jesus is trying to say to his audience, personally. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, It's not the point of this passage. Um, so what does it mean for the wheat? in this passage like the sons and daughters of god what does that mean for us if we are growing up among the weeds yeah uh that's a great question because one of the things that jumps out to me and i'll just kind of expand on what you're asking here is everyone's one or the other it it would appear at least Mm -hmm. right like and that there's no like grass or dirt (laughs) or rocks being mentioned right which i think is like logical Right. And, and kind of goes with the rest of the Bible is like at the end of the age, it's going to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. However, that's a harsh reality and something that I don't think that we really consider all that often um, because it's nice to think it's nice to kind of subconsciously think that there's this like middle ground or that like there's a range. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've had plenty of conversations with non-believers where like it's it's the the do good like the god that i believe in wouldn't force me to to choose one way or the other to do uh this way of life right i think he accepts all and all types of religion and right that's a like that's a nice way of thinking like it's easy to it's tasteful uh yeah i think yeah it's just not what this story is saying (laughs) Um, (laughs) right and so and i and i want to expand on this so in matthew chapter 15 verses 10 through 13 it says this 
Uh, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the, then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying this? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. And so, uh, Jesus is, has some harsh words there for the, uh, the Pharisees, but he's indicating, you know, that like it's not what you eat or these additional laws that the Pharisees have been creating. It upsets the Pharisees to hear him say this, but he's saying, you know, if if it is not a, a plant of my father, if it is not something that, that God put here um, or that he is growing, then it will be rooted up. And so therefore just kind of, you know, furthering that point that it's one or the other. There's really only two options here or two end results. Um, and that that's really, it can be scary, uh, but it can also be like encouraging, I think, because there's not a, I think if, if I think if we focus on, and again, I think we're, we're derailing a little bit here because I want to really emphasize, I don't think that who's a wheat and who's a weed is the point of what Jesus is saying. That being said, since I know that that is something that a lot of believers struggle with and like having the confidence to know that they are um, saved in a sense um, or that, you know, they are actually following Jesus, then I would just say that, again, going back to like the the fruit like idea, like what does your life look like? And even going back to what our, our last parable, I think Jesus, you know, in some ways, he, as he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's expanding on the same idea, but he's giving different aspects of it. So in that parable, he's, you know, challenging a crisis of decision of like, what are you going to do? What kind of fruit are you going to produce? What kind of investment is going to come out of this? And in this parable, he's saying you're known, uh, well, you like, we'll at the end of your growth, at the end of your maturity, uh, the determination will be made based off of the fruit that you've produced. And so in some ways the kind of the parables overlap in that sense. But again, like, are you following Jesus? Are you producing fruit? If you are, then I don't think that you really need to worry about that. And again, as I've said multiple times, it's not the point of this story anyway, but are you producing good fruit is one of the questions that you would have to ask yourself coming out of this story. And can you give, can you point us to some passages in scripture um, that talk about the fruit that might arise? Like immediately my mind goes to the fruit of the spirit. Um, That's an easy one kind of to point to and what fruit looks like as a believer. Um, Are there other ones that people can kind of go to not as a checklist but as more of an encouragement to say yeah like the spirit is in me because I'm experiencing these things while living in a world full of these other things yeah I can try to maybe uh, clip some into the show notes Um, I think what I would encourage the listener maybe less from like a you know, read these, these certain verses or whatever, but maybe the, maybe the mindset of what fruit looks like, as opposed to just like fruit of the spirit, um, is what is, so we talked about this a little bit on Sunday, uh, of Paul looking at his life and saying, all of these accomplishments, all these things that I've had in my life, I count them as lesser than because knowing Christ surpasses everything. And he sees what his suffering is, is being put putting the things of the world to death or these accomplishments of the world to death to experience the resurrection of Christ. And I think and you could interpret that as well because he's wants to experience that resurrection like it, 
when he dies, he then gets to be with Jesus. Um, I think that we actually get to experience the power of resurrection today in our daily lives. And how does that look? Well, it looks like, who were you before you knew Jesus? What were the things in your life that were that were rotten, that were evil, that were uh, creating uh, disunity, that were creating anger and strife and struggle for those around you? Like, in what areas were you sowing bad seed? In a sense, like where were you creating pockets of of hell almost? And I know that's hard to like think about or to think that you know, I'm not saying that you're like a bad person or whatever, but like in a sense, like we all kind of naturally are selfish and want to do things that aren't good fruit in the world. And, and yet when we come to have a relationship with Jesus, he offers a resurrection from that. Like we can put those things to death, have power over them, have victory and experience resurrection in that sense. Mm -hmm. So like resurrection to me and what fruit looks like, it can be, Hey, I've shared the gospel with this person who came to faith. It can look like I have been discipled and have a greater relationship with God myself. It can look like I used to struggle with this sin or I had this addiction in my life. And God, uh, since I've, you know, been in relationship with Jesus, I've found the freedom and the power to overcome that. It can look like I've found hope in my most anxious and depressed of days. Um, you know, wherever you see death, like, and we talked about this in one of our previous series, one of the aspects of sin is death. Where there is death, sin is present and Christ offers resurrection. And if you look at the sin in your life, if you look at the areas where kind of hell, hellish like experience is taken over, it's an experience of death and Christ offers the power of resurrection even today. Maybe not like a bodily physical resurrection, but the resurrection of our souls, the resurrection of our spirit inside Mm -hmm. of us to experience good things and experience heaven here on this earth. And so I would just say, like, if you're wondering, like, what good fruit looks like, like, I think it's it's a combination of all those things. And, um, yeah. And, again, I I don't want us to worry too much about that right. today. Well, it's not our okay. story. No. <laughs> Go off, though. That was, I mean, beautiful, uh, passionate. I So just, like, to put a cap on the fruit conversation, um, so fruit doesn't necessarily look like, well, I read my Bible every day and I journal and I do these these uh, practices, that's not the fruit we're talking about. The fruit we're talking about is life change, spirit change, soul change. Yeah. Those practices that you mentioned are, those are more to me like watering or cultivating Mm -hmm. fruit is yeah. Life change. It's my relationship with the Lord is different. It's the way that I view the world is different. I have more love. I have more humility. I have more peace in my life. I have like, that is fruit to me. Right. Um, I just think, you know, it, it gets muddy in yeah. in our context of what Christianity looks like and can look like. So, yeah. um, is there anything else, or can we dive into those like four interpreting questions to help us understand the parable more? No, I think let's let's just do it because I think any notes that I have left, I think we'll cover in our four questions as well. So, uh, we mentioned last week um, one of the ways that we encourage you to maybe attempt if you're if you struggle with parables or you struggle to really like feel confident that you have an understanding of what the stories that Jesus are trying to say or share are talking about. There's four questions that we encourage you to ask. So the first one is, what was Jesus doing? Uh, when he said it. The second one was, what did Jesus mean to his listeners? Not to you necessarily, but to his listeners, to his audience. Number three was, what are the main characters or indispensable parts? And number four is, based on this, what significance do I see for myself? So first question, what was Jesus doing when he said it? 
And we mentioned this a little bit earlier, uh, but he's teaching in a boat to a large crowd. He's been frustrating religious leaders recently and healing tons of people. Uh, he's actually traveling and uh, it says he, he healed everyone who came to him at one point, just uh, a little bit before this. His fame is beginning to spread and he has a, at least a large enough audience that he needs to sit in a boat creating almost like an amphitheater type experience for a crowd that is standing on a shore to listen to him. So uh, he has recently left dinners and experiences with religious leaders where he said things or did things that started to frustrate them. He's not so far into his ministry that he's just blatantly calling them out, but he's getting close to that point. And so uh, he's still saying things in a way that it's somewhat confusing or not quite as direct as he's going to eventually get, but he's starting to... um, yeah, speak to larger and larger crowds, and he's doing so from a boat to a large crowd on a shore. Okay, so we know what Jesus was doing. What did Jesus mean to his listeners? Yeah, so, and this is my belief, and I understand like I, I totally could be wrong, um, but what I believe Jesus meant to was to address the fact that Although he was the Messiah, uh, he was not going to be removing all of the other or bad, I put, like say that in quotes, uh, the non-Jewish nations from the land. Uh, there are many different political factions of Israel that all had different plans to achieve somewhat the same thing, either politically, spiritually, or militarily to dominate uh, the surrounding region, to bring the nation of Israel to rule the known world. And it was believed, or they believed, that the Messiah and the kingdom of heaven would do that, would usher in this uh, long-standing reign and rule of the nation of Israel specifically over the known world at that time. Uh, But Jesus wants to let them know that they're going to have to continue to live with the rest of the world for a little while longer, that there is um, that they are growing up next to other plants, other maybe what they consider evil uh, nations or oppressive uh, people. And that's going to continue for a little while longer until the last days. And that. So it's not about who is who necessarily. They might be confused about who is who, but it's more about the patience of the workers than it is anything else. And the patience of uh, who is going to, when the harvest is going to happen, when the weeds will be uprooted. Um, and so um, part of this, I, I got the, I, I believe it's like this because I believe um, based off of my study, based off of some scripture passages, which I'll read here, that it was a commonly held belief that when the Messiah came, he would do this. He would separate the evil of the other nations from the good nation of Israel. And so in Isaiah 24, 21 through 22, it says this is is a prophecy. So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth. They will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and they will be confined in prison. And after many days, they will be punished again. Like on that day, the Lord, when he comes, the Messiah will gather together the evildoers and punish them or confine them in prison for a time. Jeremiah 46, 10. For that day belongs to the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, so as to avenge himself on his foes. And the sword will devour and be satiated and drink its fill of their blood. For there will be a slaughter for the Lord God of hosts in the land of the north by the river Euphrates. 
And then in Malachi chapter 4, 1 through 3, it says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with the healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Now, as you see from these passages, and even that last one specifically really seems to tie itself to this parable, if it was interpreted a different way, that you could root out all those weeds and burn them, and then the wheat that's left standing is treading over it, or it's standing over it, celebrating the day of the Lord. And so uh, I think that you could certainly see the case for why from these previous prophecies, they might come to this understanding that the day that the Messiah returns, he's going to uproot the evil of the world and leave Israel standing. And that's really what Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven, it's here, but it's not like that. And there's going to be a, a waiting game for a little while of patience where you're going to have to live together with those that are weeds. And so we have these three, uh, in addition to like, the nation of Israel kind of having these, I mentioned how you'd have these different factions that might, you know, think that there's different ways that they're going to achieve this. You have um, some, so one faction was called the publicans. Uh, these would be like the tax collectors or those that kind of believe that Israel's best chance at survival was to coexist with Rome, at least for now. Uh, and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees were religious leaders who were counting on divine intervention to elevate Israel, that God would honor Israel's holiness and wipe out their enemies. And then you have the zealots who are like national extremists that organized assassinations and coups to try to crumble the occupying government. And all of these might be represented on the shore. And, and Jesus might be speaking to all of them saying, you are attempting or in your mind, you have this idea that all of this is going to be uprooted. All of this is going to be removed and you're actually taking it into your own hands. Some of you. And yet I'm telling you that it's, they need to, they need to coexist for a little while longer. So this might be a little dangerous to try to put in the context of today, but like in thinking about the publicans, Pharisees, Sadducees, zealots, like how are they comparable today? Are we talking pastors and lifelong Christians and um well I think for a long time unfortunately this verse was this passage this parable was interpreted as we need to remove people that are sinning from inside the church which doesn't seem to be at all what Jesus is saying like he literally says that it's the world is the field um but unfortunately that was like a, a pretty regular interpretation for a long time it may still be in some places and so I think, you know, who might be the representatives? I think you have, I don't know, like, it's tough to say that it's any necessarily like perfect comparison to today because we don't necessarily share this idea that um, we, we are, we don't really have the Israelite belief. I don't think at least for most people that um, God's going to, or like the Messiah was going to remove evil from the world. I think that's his return. That day is coming, but maybe that like, if you are someone who has seen or is a current believer that we need to remove any kind of evil or negativity from inside the church, um, I think that that you kind of line up with one of these camps that thinks that like that there's supposed to be this perfect, um, this perfect body 
that is without any evil amongst it or that uh, we're supposed to live, you know, without relating to what we might consider sinful people or evil people or whatever, um, that we were supposed to remove those people from our lives. I think a lot of times growing up, I would hear, you know, like don't hang out with that crowd or whatever, you know, or don't associate with the people that might be uh, doing bad things, quote unquote. And I think in that way, it's like, well, you can't remove yourself from the field. Like if the field's the world and the weeds and the wheat grow up together, you can't remove yourself from that. And so uh, you can pr- you can focus on, on your fruit that you're producing, uh, but you have to exist amongst the field as a whole. And so I don't know. I don't know if that helps or answers your question at all. Yeah. But like it's it's not our job to decide where to do the work of the reapers. Yes, exactly. Yes. Amen to that. Um, I think that's something that we get caught up in far too often is determining who is a wheat and who is a weed, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of other people. And that is very much not what Jesus is saying here. Mm. So who the third question, who are the main characters? What are the indispensable parts of this story? Yeah. So we have the master who Jesus says is himself, uh, the enemy who plants the seed and Jesus interprets as the devil, uh, the wheat, which are the children of the kingdom, the weeds, which are the children of the enemy. We have the servants that God or that Jesus doesn't give really a personification to, but they're kind of an interesting uh, bunch. Uh, the result of the crop is an indispensable part that would, that's, you know, incredibly important uh the response of the servants what do we do with the weeds and the wheat what what, how do we separate them and then the response of the master to to wait to have patience i think those are all parts of this parable that are indispensable and and you know main purposes to the story well i'm curious so as a listener hearing you point out those parts, how did you decide that those were the, the important things to take away and like all of the other stuff you just kind of left? So I think one, any other detail that, you know, remains that isn't in that list, if you took it out of the story, would the story change? So once you've determined what Jesus meant to his audience, you can determine what detail was maybe less significant? So like we mentioned earlier, um, the sleeping, is it significant that they were sleeping? Could they have just been away? Could they have been, I think, I think you could have given them a description that may have, um, given the parable a different meaning. And so maybe that's part of the intentionality of saying they were sleeping. But, um, I think for the most part, like, is the detail something that gives meaning to the story? Or if that detail were taken out, would the story have the same meaning to it? Mm, okay. I think that's makes me think of kind of our conversation last week in how cool parables are that we can keep going back to them and keep going back to them because chances are in your interpretation today, you have something that might be wrong. It might be not as to the point of what Jesus meant or in a different season of life, like you might find something else in the parable that's indispensable or somebody else might come along and say, Hey, this part is important because dot, dot, dot. Um, so 
you pointing out those things that are main characters, indispensable parts. Um, great, cool, but also like maybe you missed one and two years from now you can go back and relearn from the parable. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think, I think what it does though, from a, you know, maybe not to say, I think, I think I agree with you, but I also would just give you caution in that like the indispensable parts of the main characters also give you a framework. And so, um, if you were to figure out that there is another additional part that's indispensable or that is a main character that may have some really significant, um, you know, ramifications for how you interpret the passage if there's additional main characters or whatever. So, uh, Mm -hmm. while I agree with you that, you know, if that's the case, you should definitely, you know, explore that. Uh, I'd also caution you and just like allowing a very small detail to become bigger than what it actually was and to change maybe the meaning of the passage. Cause hopefully I think if you're going through these in order, you would have come to a place where you're like, I think I have a pretty good idea of what Jesus meant to the people he was speaking to. And that can help me determine, you know, what is significant and what's not. Okay. So that kind of leads into the fourth question then. Based on all of this, who is he, who he's talking to, what he means for them, who is important in this story, what significance do I see for myself? Yeah, and this is a tough one with this particular parable because I think what Jesus intended for his audience doesn't necessarily resonate as much with us. We've kind of talked about that a little bit already, how we don't see ourselves as this overcoming nation state that's going to rule the world. I don't think like Western Christianity necessarily sees themselves that way. Um, now, we could get into some like Christian nationalism, things like that. that that's probably a rabbit trail that we don't want to go down. But uh, I don't think that Jesus is saying that Christianity is necessarily going to, or Christians of the world are going to have this uh, reigning, ruling. We talk about this having dominion and stuff from uh, Genesis in the garden, but I don't think that like one of the takeaways is Jesus isn't saying that Christians in this age are going to have this like political or military reigning and ruling over the world or over nations or things like that. I I think that he's saying you know you're going to have to coexist with the evil of the world. Uh, I think he's also indicating for us that we are not the ones who determine the wheat in the weeds. Uh, I think that's something that's significant for us today because we tend to lean more into uh, wanting to determine that for ourselves. And then I think also not just determining wheat and weeds of the people around us, but also internally, like we started some of this conversation with, um, understanding that it's the fruit that we produce that determines if we are a wheat or a weed. And uh, ultimately the harvest, the reapers are going to come, but uh, we are in some ways, at least in my interpretation, I understand that there are people that might disagree with this, but it's the fruit that you produce. We talked about the predestination thing a little bit before. I do want to just kind of introduce this. I think, I think for the most part, we all agree that, you know, especially in this parable, we are not the ones who determine who is a wheat and who's a weed. We also would all agree that we want the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus to go out into the world. So I think, again, that whole conversation of does this parable say that, you know, we're all predestined for one or the other or not, I think is somewhat irrelevant in that when you when you shift your mind to I'm not a determiner of who's a wheat and a weed. My job is really just to produce good fruit 
then we don't really need to worry about is it thought of before time or is it now? I know that there will be people that disagree with that, but personally, I just don't find that to be the most important thing. I think we, if we can agree that we're not the ones that determine it and we agree that uh, we need to share the good news of Jesus, then that's what we should focus on and uh, being that good fruit and not worry so much about, uh, you know, those around us are internally like, are we this or are we that? Or were we determined before or determined now or whatever? Um, Do you think yeah. it's a little dangerous to be so focused on producing fruit being our responsibility? And I say that because... If, if we are the plant or the wheat or the vine, branches of the vine, um, then we don't actually produce, we, we are an agent to producing fruit, but we can't necessarily work harder to produce fruit. That's a great point. And I think it goes back to what we mentioned earlier when you were talking about the practices that we have of spending time with the Lord, reading our Bibles, praying, all of that. No, you're right. Like, But our job is to use those nutrients to water, to cultivate. Um, to be connected to the vine. To be connected to the vine in order to, so that the vine through us can produce that fruit. Absolutely. That's a great, um, I'm glad that you brought that up because you're right. Uh, there's not necessarily a work that we do that immediately indicates fruit or that produces fruit. Uh, we are prayerfully, hopefully going into situations where we're asking God to produce fruit. You know, even that idea that we talked about earlier of uh, bringing things that are dead back to life, the resurrection power of Christ that's given to us through the Holy Spirit and that uh, manifests itself through the Holy Spirit. And so uh, those things are, are good or gifts of good grace uh, from God to us to produce fruit in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Not necessarily things that we have full autonomy to, to create ourselves, but that we do the most that we can to help them grow and to help them flourish. Would you like to, as we wrap up here, would you like to attempt another, another Mad Lib, try to modernize this parable a little bit? Only if the Mad Lib is correctly a Mad Lib called made this, correctly a Mad Lib. I've like, made this one much simpler. Much simpler. Okay. okay. Let's do it. All right. Can I get a title of a man or woman? Firewoman. Let's go. Firewoman. Okay. Now I need an adjective. I know you love those. I do. Let's do sparkly. Okay. And a vegetable. Squash. Okay. And now I need an activity. Jumping rope. Okay. And now I need another adjective. Bouncy. And another vegetable. Cucumber. Perfect. All right. I'm going to try to do this all together, just filling it in as I go. So here's the parable, Mad Lib style. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a firewoman who planted sparkly squash in her field. But while his men were jumping rope, his enemy came and planted bounty cucumber among the sparkly squash. Ooh. And he went away. So when the when the sparkly squash came up and the bouncy cucumber appeared also. Oh, so when it went away. So when, so when the sparkly squash came up, then the bouncy cucumber appeared also. And the hired workers of the firewoman came and said to him, came to said to her, firewoman, did you not plant sparkly squash in your field? How then does it have bouncy cucumbers? He, she said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to her, Then do you want us to go and gather them? 
But she said, no, less than gathering the bouncy cucumbers, you root up the sparkly squash along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the bouncy cucumbers first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the sparkly squash into my barn. How do we do? Better? I mean, it was fine. <laughs> I feel a little bit like that is a VeggieTales story. <laughs> Basically was. Yeah. If, instead of... Uh, Bob the tomatoes just yes. oh, trademarked. Am I allowed to say that? Uh-oh. You might need to cut that part. Shiny red tomatoes were grown, but cucumber, the cucumber is a good guy too. He is. Um, before we wrap up, yep. Could you maybe give us a little preview, sneak peek for next week's passages, uh, passage parable, so we can read it and think about it, and maybe go through the process of the questions um, before coming to the podcast. Yep, absolutely. So we are going to next week be talking about the parable of the great banquet or wedding feast. The story can be found in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. We'd love for you to read that ahead of time if you would like to and to, yeah, make notes. Uh, what are, how would you interpret this? What are the four you know questions that we ask? What was Jesus doing? Uh, who did Jesus, what does Jesus mean for his intended audience? You know, uh, what are the main characters or indispensable parts? And then finally, what significance does that have for you? So yeah, uh, that's going to be our parable for next week. Great. Thank you. Yep. You got it. All right. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. We'll be back next Thursday, as we just mentioned, with another parable, looking at another aspect of the kingdom of heaven. In the meantime, consider what are you doing with what's been given to you? And it's not your job to determine what everyone else's fruit is or what you are but just to produce good fruit. And those are some of the main basic things that Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven. Love y'all. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Merriam Community Center off Slater Street between Johnson Drive and Shawnee Mission Parkway. We also have five community groups that meet throughout the KC Metro. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or send me an email at jake at missioncitykc.com.